This is the Aging Literacy Podcast, and I'm Dr. Bill Thomas, and I'm here at Rep Studio, joined as always by Nate Silas Richardson. Hey, Bill. And today, Nate, it's a big deal in the history of the Aging Literacy Podcast. For the very first time ever, we've got a guest. It's pretty exciting. Probably the most exciting thing that has happened at, you know, maybe decades. I don't know. I would like to introduce our first guest and an old friend of mine. You're probably going to guess that Sarah's not from Ithaca, but that's okay. She came to see us this week in the frozen tundra of upstate New York, and I dragged her into the studio, Sarah McKee. Bill. Hi, Nate. Hi, Sarah. Did you do the polar plunge? Polar plunge? What's Did you jump plunge? in Lake Cayuga? In oh, don't be ridiculous. January? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I nearly lost my face getting off the aircraft. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, in addition to having her bags lost and having the plane, like, going to the wrong terminal and all of that, we rescued her from JFK Airport and brought her to upstate New York. And now she's here hanging with us on the Aging Literacy Podcast. And... I made an agreement with Sarah that we would talk about something that she's really on about in the UK, which is loneliness. Yeah, I mean, uh, who would know that loneliness is the biggest killer now? And not just for old people, but Mm -hmm. for all sorts of people across the generations. How do you measure that? Well, I work very closely with the hospital sector in the UK, and uh, the geriatricians there are telling me it's the biggest predictor of early death. Yeah, and I'll say, Nate, not that anybody's rushing to the bookstore to buy it, but there's a really incredible book called The Medical Consequences of Loneliness. Mm. And if you read the book, uh, it really makes the case that human beings need each other, and if they don't have a circle of relationships around them... They die. Yeah, it's bad. Mm. And you think about that when in our adolescence, I think almost every human in adolescence has a period. I don't care how loving your family is, has a period of being like, I am all alone. Do you know, I love the drama of the States. It's just fantastic. We bring it right back down to a little bit of sanity here. But you're making a good point. You are making a good point. You're making a good point. And and for me, you know, it's very, very personal because, as you know, Bill, it's coming up to seven years since mm-hmm. the other half of my life, Dr. McKee, yes. died. And you kind of don't really understand the depth of that relationship you have mm-hmm. on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you lose friends really quickly. Mm-hmm. So the real friends are the ones that stick with you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Your real family doesn't really know how to deal with you. Right. Your kind of surrogate American family does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm really lucky. I'm very, very busy all the time. Yeah. Um, I've got relationships. But when I think about what would that be like if I was 80... And I was retired, Mm -hmm. and it has happened to people I know and I talk to Mm -hmm. that the same thing happens. Mm -hmm. Your couple's relationships Mm -hmm. disappear Mm -hmm. because suddenly you're the odd person. Mm -hmm. And it's not only have you got to get through bereavement and loss and all of the emotions that go with that that are really destructive, Mm -hmm. you're left to do it by yourself. Right. And, you know, we're we're not good. No human is really good at being all on their own. And we all 
need other people around us and how we connect to those people. That's what matters. And when we're younger, we get school. And for all its ups and downs, it gives you a way to connect. When we're in middle life, for many people, you've got a deep attaching relationship. Professional relationships. Well, yeah, and personal at home, you know, household or uh, work. And then at the point, and I think this is what Sarah was saying, at the point of maximal risk, you have the fewest institutions or organizations or structures to reach out to if you happen to lose, you know, the tentpole of your life, yeah. you know, that really super close relationship. Yeah, and I think, I think it's when you're at your most vulnerable where you lose your confidence to mm -hmm. even go out and see yeah. what's there. Yeah. So actually one of the things that's really important to me is food. I'm a terrible cook. The doc was the great cook. Mm -hmm. Eating on your own for me is refueling. Mm -hmm. The beauty of coming into the Thomas's household is food is a celebration of life. Oh, it's yeah. where we talk. It's where we share what we've done during the day. What's that word? Um, convivium. Uh, yes. Easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it's around um, how do we recreate those special moments in a day where you come back from doing whatever you've done mm -hmm. and you're sharing that day with someone. And the, the real challenge lots of people have now is they might have gone out and they might have done something, but they come back to an empty house. Mm -hmm. They make a cup of coffee for one. Mm -hmm. um, there's no lights on. There's no noise. Um, mm -hmm. And that is the bit where actually it has a physical impact mm -hmm. on you. What about dating an older age? I know you just had a conversation with Ashton, who I think of as the expert on, on this. Is that a active network in the U.K.? What's going on there? I think there's a generational skip. Mm -hmm. I think younger, older people are much more confident about using the internet mm -hmm. and about going to things and joining groups. I think we almost have to manufacture opportunities for community connectedness in the UK now because we don't have that neighbourhood mm. infrastructure anymore. You don't have people either side of you. We do live very socially isolated lives in a lot of ways. So, Even in the city? Oh, more so in the city, more so actually. The city, more yeah. so in the city because exactly. at least in the suburbs, we tend to know the person over the hedge. You know, you do take in each other's mm -hmm. posts. There is a bit of camaraderie. Mm -hmm. But people's families are now so dispersed. You know, people have gone and lived all over the world, not just down the road. Right. So to rely on your own biological family to help you out just isn't going to work anymore. Dating, great, but actually, if you've been married for 50 years, it's you know, a hard thing to do. I was married for 17. Do you know, I have no idea how to start that first conversation right. again. <laughs> well, it reminds me, Nate, and you've talked about this, kind of a situation of uh, making a home in, with a blended family. Mm -hmm. And you have kids, and you're in a relationship, and you're making a household where your family is choosing to be a family. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I wonder if you'd talk about that. Well, I love the term bonus. We're not married, so we're not yeah. stepsisters, stepbrothers, stepmom, stepdad. Yeah. We're bonus dad, bonus mom, <laughs> bonus bro, bonus sis. Um, well, I, that's, uh, that is entirely new to me. I love that, yeah. the bonus dad. Yeah. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've had some recent struggles, I will say. The two youngest were best friends from the first minute they met. They were bosom buddies. And only recently we've had this issue where 
the youngest wants the love and attention of Sarah, mm-hmm. and she loves him mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. But he gets jealous sure. of his bonus sister whenever she spends time mm-hmm. with mom, mm-hmm. like one on one. He's like, "What am I? You know, you mm-hmm. had her for eleven years. Why can't like I have a lot of catching up to do?" Kind of thing. <laughs> so that's been a big challenge. That's that's been practically the only challenge. Other than that, it's been just a glorious union mm-hmm. of families. What I'm picking out from what both of you guys are saying is that there was a time in history where your relationship structure was defined, blood kinship, you know, occupation, neighborhood, boom, church, boom. And I think what's happening in this century is we're moving more and more toward intentional relationships. So mm-hmm. bonus dad, bonus sister, mm-hmm. relationships that I know, you know, Sarah cultivates on purpose because you can't simply just sit back and say, this network is just going to be for me there always. Well, it reminds me of the funnel metaphor you use yep. where you have to keep putting people in the top because yep. they, they're keep inevitably falling out, the bottom. falling out the bottom. So yep. you better keep filling the top. And you know that one of the things that I found really compelling is if you take the spectrum of age, so starting kind of um, in your early adulthood, in your 20s, 20s and early 30s, through to the 80s, miss out the rump in the middle, Mm -hmm. the relationship between the late 20s and the early 80s is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We middle-aged people get in the way of those relationships. (laughs) They skip a generation. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's been growing in the UK, uh, led by this really phenomenal guy called Alex Fox, is called Shared Lives. And there's two aspects to Shared Lives. One is where people with learning disabilities or with dementia live in a family setting for life. So we match a family to an individual and you join in their family in their home. A bit like being a bonus person. Yeah. <laughs> And there's another part of the jigsaw, which is home share, which Mm -hmm. is really, really growing. And it's something that I'm really considering doing myself, Mm -hmm. which is about having a young person, either a student or a young professional, who Mm -hmm. can't get on the property ladder, who finds renting really Mm -hmm. expensive, takes up most of their income, and a lonely older person or a middle-aged person. Mm -hmm. um, And you literally share the house. And um, for your rent-free accommodation as a younger person, you're there to provide companionship support, share meals together. And it's a really growing phenomenon in Europe and in the UK mm-hmm. because we've got houses. Uh, a lot of older people are living in houses that are completely underused. Right. Um, they don't want to move because that's where they've been for many years. But the impact of that level of companionship is really mm-hmm. um, showing great fruit. And if you think about in England at the moment, we could talk about a winter crisis. It never gets as cold or as snowy as it does here, let's be frank. Okay. But older people fall over and end up in hospital. If they are with people, if they are well-nourished, body and soul, then they don't end up in hospital. Mm-hmm. So it's in everybody's interests to create mm-hmm. these new intentional spaces, mm-hmm. yep. places to live, places to thrive, places to be nourished. And I fundamentally believe humans are not meant to live on their own. I think, you know, the odd person may want to be a hermit, but the vast majority of us mm-hmm. thrive with human touch. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if we can manufacture ways where people can quite loosely live together, then you create a whole new intergenerational interdependence mm-hmm. where we are 
helping each other, where it's not about cost, whether it's not about burden, whether it's not... I don't have children. Mm -hmm. So what do I do when I get old? There mm -hmm. isn't a family to come and look after mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So it's very personal to me, as I say, that we create a variety of different ways to live together. I love that idea, and I really look forward to watching how that develops. That sounds like a very smart approach. And I think it comes right down to what I, what I believe are going to be the two of the most important words in aging literacy going forward, which are independent together. That too much emphasis on independence is poison because it isolates people yeah, and absolutely. loneliness. Yeah, yeah. And together, learning how to be independent together. So you were describing the home sharing and how in the home sharing situation, you have your own life, you're doing your own thing, but you're together. And I think for all the people out there who listen to this podcast who are with elders, I think if we could just take a minute in your daily life to think about how to help people be independent together, rely on each other, support each other, that's the, a really powerful antidote to loneliness. So with that, I want to say I'm having so much fun. I would like to invite Sarah back for another podcast. Uh, would you be willing Oh, I think I could manage it. Now, that was very enthusiastic, that was, Nate. That was super. <laughs> How long have you been in the States, Sarah? She's like basically an American at this point. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. So, this is the Aging Literacy Podcast, and I'm Dr. Bill Thomas. And I'm Nate Silas Richardson. And I'm Sarah McKee. And we'll see you down the road. Aging Literacy Podcast is made possible by Minka Homes and Communities. To learn more about Dr. Thomas's latest innovation, visit myminka.com. We would like to thank the University of Southern Indiana and AARP for their continued partnership in our pilot, MAGIC, a multi-ability, multi-generational, inclusive community project. Thanks also to the innovative minds at Omni Labs, amplifying human presence using telepresence robots. And Holiday Retirement, named Best Senior Living by SeniorAdvisor.com and Caring.com. The Aging Literacy Podcast is recorded in Ithaca, New York at Rep Studio, home of the microphone.